Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, uh, we talked a lot about Juneteenth in the first hour. We hit some of the headline news of the day. We talked about the names we call God and calling God by name. Uh, We talked with Daniel Bennett about the indictment of the former president and how we can have a distinctly Christian response to um, such things in the culture. So yeah, lots of great content there. You should go back and grab it as a podcast. You can... uh, yeah, you should download the podcast, Mornings with Carmen, the Faith Radio app. You can text the word app, APP, to 877-933-2484. If you don't already have the Faith Radio app on your phone, again, text the word app, APP, to 877-933-2484. Then you won't miss a minute of this or anything else uh, of our great programming. Okay, uh, we're going to pray the news this morning. I know that there are things happening uh in your own life, in your own neighborhood, in your own community, in your own family. Um, but there are also things happening around the world, and God cares just as much about the people and the places that are extraordinarily far away from us as he does, you know, you and me. Like, God cares intimately for each and every human being. It just, like, blows our minds to think about that God considers every single person in the world today. He knows the number of hairs on their head. Um, He knows the circumstances of their life. And he knows all of that about you. He knows what you're facing. He knows the challenges. He cares deeply and intimately. So as we lift up these particular headlines and pray the news this morning, pray for these people and these places, um, I just recognize that we are in as much need um, of these prayers as well. And so I'm lifting you up in the midst of the circumstances you are facing, even as we um, highlight the circumstances that brothers and sisters are facing around the world. So in Pakistan, we want to be praying for um, a particular brother. Um, he has he was charged in 2019, and he has been in prison since then. He's now 22 years old. His name is Noman, and Noman Masai um, uh, has received the death penalty in Pakistan, um, he's been found guilty of blasphemy. The charges are totally spurious, but it doesn't really matter. Um, The penalty is death. And so we want to be lifting up um, him and his family. We want to be lifting up the families of the dozens of students killed by Islamist um, militants in Uganda. There was a Uganda school attack over the weekend Um, many of the students were killed by those who entered their dormitories using machetes. Others died after um, those assailants set their dorm on fire. And so we want to be praying for the people related to the school, 
for the families of these um, children and for uh, not only those who have been confirmed killed, but for those who have been um, very, very badly injured and are um, now being cared for. And, and you say, why does Carmen tell us these terrible things? Because we need um, to have very sober judgment about what's happening in the world and very sober judgment about why worldview matters, why Jesus matters. It, it matters. What you believe matters. The situation in Pakistan is inflamed by, um, by a belief in something other than Jesus. The situation in Uganda is inflamed by a system of beliefs in something other than Jesus. Um, worldview matters. What you believe matters. Jesus matters. The good news matters. And there's a lot of people who don't know it and are therefore living um, in ways very contrary to it and setting themselves up against those who do believe. So let's be praying the news today um, and lifting up people before the Lord and then doing our part to share the good news of the gospel in this generation. Dr. Linda Mental is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, forgiveness, things we've learned from our dads. We're going to talk about um, the ways in which we can enter into the conversations of the day and the way that we can allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. All that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is joining us again today. You can listen to her on the Dr. Linda Mental Show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can visit with her at drlindamental.com. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Good to hear your voice. Well, likewise, likewise. So Father's Day was yesterday. You have a beautiful Happy Father's Day um, message posted on your blog. Um, Maybe share with us um, maybe why dads matter and a little bit about your own dad. Well, they definitely matter, and uh, we're living in a culture that says they don't, so that's a really important message to get out to all of us, that dads have a very specific role in families, in raising children, in being partners, and they're they're very important to healthy and secure relationships. So I was very fortunate that I have a Christian father. I had a Christian father. He lived to almost 98 years old. And was very uh, clear in his mind until the time of his death. And I was with him when he died. And um, it was, I can say, it was a glorious uh, passing, which I have never experienced in my life. His passing was all full of Jesus. And we were singing and he was praising God and he was having visions of the Lord and seeing his uh, next step into eternity. So it was such a phenomenal event for me. I will never forget that. But, you know, my dad isn't perfect, like a lot of dads, a lot of people listening. Um, My dad was a tough old German guy who was pretty stubborn at times and also was uh, very hard-pressing on us as kids. But he, he came from the Depression era, and he really thought that education was the way for us to get forward in this life. And so he really pushed us in that regard. And all of us went to college and all of us have advanced degrees. And um, that was part of his uh, his sort of legacy to us to make things better. But my dad was a lot of fun, Carmen. We would get in, we would go every summer in August on these big trips across the country and see the country. 
And we would pack into this big Buick that he had, and there were three of us as as kids. So we were all in the back seat, um, and then my mom and dad. And we would stop at all these really cheesy kind of places. I remember one year we got lost at the Grand Canyon, and we were circling and trying to find a hotel room. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of adventure around that. But he always was into exploring and learning, and that was such a part of him that he gave to me. And then I think the I other thing that really, really stands out is my dad was just a people person. Mm-hmm. He would walk our little town. He would know everybody. I mean, he'd we, you know, go to the mall and he'd talk to people. We'd be out shopping or at a grocery store. He'd talk to people. And when he died, uh, there were so many people that showed up at his funeral. I mean, former neighbors from 30 years ago came and police officers and people from his work and people I never even imagined knew my father because it it was a a rather small town, about 80,000 people. But um, he loved people and he loved to engage with people. And I hope that that's one of the things that he also gave to me. So I think what I did this Father's Day, I was just focusing on all the things that my father gave me. And uh, as we sang yesterday in church, he's a good, good father. Um, mine, I really would put mine up there as a, a really good father who gave me lots of security in life and gave me a really good foundation. I love that. Um, I, I love the way you describe him and like his attendance at piano recitals and um, right. <laughs> Even though he fell asleep. And, yeah. So, but he was there. Like Ray, he was there. Yeah. 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 And I think that that being there, that showing up, um, that's oh, yeah. that's so important. Um, and that's really huge. And obviously, not only providing for you, um, you know, a, a, a home to live in and, and an education, but providing, I mean, even loading up in the Buick, right? And heading across the country, like that's time, that's um, that sacrifice, that's mm-hmm. a, you know, he didn't, he wasn't choosing to go off with a bunch of guys and do something without you. He was yeah. choosing to be with his family. I mean, those are all choices that dads make in one direction or the other. And if you're listening right now and you're wondering, does it matter? Does it matter that I show up to baseball practice? Does it matter that I, um, that I'm the one that drives my kid to camp? Does it matter that I'm, you know, does it matter that I'm the one that's there? And what you're hearing today in the testimony of Dr. Linda Mental is that it matters because what she doesn't um, spend a lot of time talking about is, you know, the job her dad did or how much money he made. What she spends a lot of time reflecting on and talking about um, are the moments, these um, these memory making moments, even silly, dorky dad things, um, you know. And and so I want you to hear that today and I want you to know that it matters. It matters that you roll out the slip and slide this summer and that you um you know, that you slide down it with your kids. Like it matters. It's it things that might seem little and insignificant to you. They matter to a child. And those are the memory forming um, the things that really do forge in us an understanding of who we are and frankly, who God is like, right, Linda, don't we get a lot of our images of who God is from our dads? Oh, absolutely. And it's actually one of the things that I deal with in therapy is a lot of times I'll have two columns on a piece of paper and I'll ask, a patient to write down the characteristics of God on one side and then the characteristics of their earthly father. And we'll, we'll look at that comparison. 
But I, I want to say something about what you're saying because it's presence that really matters. And if we make the, you know, the analogy to God, God is always present with us. He is a present help in time of trouble. And with my father, I think his presence on a daily basis, uh, you know, he would be there doing homework with us. I was in theater and he would help me rehearse my lines. And he was just, he would teach us how to play cards and how to do games. And he was always present. And that presence is really what creates that really foundational basis of trust and security. I knew I could count on my dad no matter what. And again, he wasn't perfect. And sometimes he pushed me a little hard, but he was always there. And that's what I have as a memory is his presence. And I will say that my husband has taken on that mantle and has been very present and was very present with our children when they were growing up. He never let his job interfere with the time he spent with them, um, you know, on a daily basis. So if you hear anything from this interview, know exactly what Carmen is saying is that presence is what really impacts a child. That's the thing you, you come away with that you remember. Yeah, my um, I just made a list. Um, like playing gap, backgammon, he was my little league coach. Um, learning to sail, took us to football games. He took me hunting. He didn't have a son, right? Um, I remember snorkeling for. Um, um, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. It'll come to me. Uh, <laughs> they're not clams. They're uh, yeah. Anyway, it'll come to me. Um, but y doing yard work, uh, you know, at trick or treating, like that was my dad. And then yeah. him being present at the other end of the dining room table in seventh grade when I I was at a school that was really hard for me. And then I was engaged in softball, and I just didn't have enough hours in the day to get my homework done. And my dad um, said, "All right, you got to go to bed." And so I'm like, "But I'm not done." And he's like, "I'll get you up." So he woke me up. And Linda, that is in seventh grade is when I started getting up at four in the morning. And now, oh I mean, goodness. like, thank God I have that because now I have a job where I get up at four in the morning. So, <laughs> yeah, there um, you go. but it started with my dad sitting at the other end of the table. I don't know what he was doing, but I was doing my homework. And um, uh, yeah, and he was present. It's not like he woke me up and went back to bed. He sat at the other end of the table. Um, wow. And, yeah, that presence is huge. It's just huge. All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna take a very brief break. When we come back. We're going to talk about what it means to have a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. More with Dr. Linda Mental in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find what we're talking about at DrLindaMental.com. We're going to pop to another of um, Linda's posts there on her blog. So I'm looking, Linda, at what does it mean to have a nervous breakdown? Um, when someone says, I am having a nervous breakdown, do we know what they mean? Well, so what, what do they mean? 
Well, it's a term that's used, you know, sometimes people are saying I have a meltdown or I'm at the end of my rope or I just feel overwhelmed with life. It's really not a medical term. So I want to put that out there right away, that this is not something that is considered you're having some type of mental illness. Now, you might be having a mental health crisis because what happens when people say they're having a breakdown is the stress of whatever is going on or life circumstances, which relates to stress, is, you know, whatever's happening, it seems to be overwhelming and taxing your system of coping. And so it's a really a resiliency issue where everything seems to be breaking down because there's too much and too little coping. And so people get into that state and then they have a, they can have a lot of symptoms. Now, if you have a mental health disorder or illness, that really makes it worse because you can have like an underlying anxiety disorder. And then when you get way more stress, it can take you to that point of feeling like you're breaking down. And usually, Carmen, when we're, we're listening to people talk about that, I'll ask about how, you know, what does it look like? And so sometimes people will say, well, I'm, I'm taking sick days or I'm, you know, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not sleeping well. I'm, I'm really feeling a bit hopeless and feel like I'm just losing control or, you know, I'm sad or worried or frustrated or not concentrating. Uh, in the worst cases, maybe somebody feels like they might harm themselves. Um, but, you know, there could be some anxiety and panic along with that. So a lot of sort of behavioral outputs of just feeling completely overwhelmed and feeling like you're losing control. Um, and what do I do if I, I mean, if somebody that I love has quote, reach the end of their proverbial rope. Like they literally are saying things like, like I'm done. Um, I just yeah. can't handle it. What, what do I do? Yeah, well, that's really a serious statement. I always take it serious. And I teach uh, students that whenever anybody says, I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning, or I just want to go to bed and not wake up, I would consider those very serious statements. And so they need to talk to somebody. And we know that there's a hotline now nationally. It's it's just you just put in 988. And that is the suicide and crisis line that anybody can call any time of day, 24 hours. But if you're feeling, you know, overwhelmed, I would say you, you know, talk to somebody, find somebody you trust, try to, you know, take sort of a time out, regroup yourself and try to get to the point where you're deep in prayer. I think it always helps to reconnect with the Father, um, our, he our Heavenly Father. And, you know, there's so many scriptures about I'm a present help in time of trouble and God is our helper and he's a strong tower. And there's all of this encouragement that you can get. And in, in the Old Testament, David is constantly saying, I encouraged myself in the Lord. I reminded myself of the Lord. And remind yourself that even though you feel overwhelmed, God is still with you. And he's in the circumstance. And he has not gone anywhere. And his promise is that he's going to get you through it to the other side. So that you need to remember at all times, that God hasn't left. He hasn't abandoned you. He's with you. And try to regroup and, you know, try to maybe do something like pay attention to your body, even though you don't feel like it. Exercise, eat better, limit your caffeine, because sometimes that creates a lot of anxiety in people. And if you have to go to counseling, go to counseling. Sometimes we just have these things that pop up in our life and we think, oh, this is really overwhelming me. I'm not getting back on my feet. Maybe if I just go talk to somebody, maybe your church has a counseling center or a, you know a Christian counselor and just say, 
um, I really need to just talk about this, or even with a strong Christian friend who will pray with you, talk it through with you. But the, the important point of our conversation is that God is with you in this circumstance. And so you don't have limited resources, really. You have an unlimited resource in God, in His power, in His Holy Spirit, in His ability to comfort you, to walk you through any difficult circumstance that you might face. That's so good. That's so helpful. Um, If you or someone that you love is experiencing a mental health crisis that's causing genuinely severe distress, um, we do want to remind you that the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available anywhere. Um, You just dial 988 on your cell phone um, and, and there's help right there. Let's be a help to one another today. Let's encourage one another in the faith. Linda, thank you as always for all the ways you encourage us. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Likewise. You can connect with Linda and all of her resources at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Who are your ancestors? Who are your ancestors? Who are your ancestors in your like biological genetic family tree? And who are your ancestors in the faith? Who who has gone for God to places and spaces where the person who reached you with the gospel was reached with the gospel? So your spiritual family tree um, is probably pretty complex. And you probably don't know how to trace it. Um. Today is Juneteenth, and there are some really complicated spiritual family trees out there um, that are related to the fact that people who understood themselves to be Christians owned other people as enslaved Americans and taught them Bible stories and catechized them. And then those people went on to be missionaries in places around the world where then the gospel was planted in the hearts and minds of others. It's a complex family tree. Slavery is not just a story from history. It's our history. It's our story. And in 1838, Mariah Fearing was born, a slave near Gainesville, Alabama. Um, She became a missionary in Africa. And the lives of many people were radically transformed because of her life. Karen Ellis is going to join us next to talk about Mariah Fearing. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Karen Ellis is the director of the Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, She's also a fierce advocate for the persecuted church around the world. Um, She raises awareness and promotes indigenous leadership in countries where Christianity is restricted or repressed. Um, Karen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's good to be with you, Carmen. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for uh, featuring Mariah Fearing's book and her life. 
Right. So we do have um, your book um, to give away today about Mariah Fearing. So I, what I want you to do is tell people enough about the book so they will know who should text in um, for the drawing. And then I just really want to talk about her. So um, tell, tell us enough about the book that, um, you know, like folks will know, all right, I'm the person who's supposed to text the word book to 877-933-2484 because this is the book for me. Who is this book for? This, this is ages four to seven. It's directed for them. And uh, so grandparents and parents, get your fingers ready. It's for you uh, to share with the little ones to help them understand uh, how God uses Ordinary, the most ordinary people in the world to do extraordinary things and people we've never heard of. So Mariah Fearing, you already shared with us a little bit earlier, Carmen, was uh, born enslaved on an Alabama plantation. And in 1863, when she was emancipated, uh, she asked God, she had already been catechized. She had heard about Jesus and God and his stories of the Bible already through the not just her, the people who owned her, who catechized her, but she had also heard the marvelous stories of God's freedom, spiritual freedom, physical freedom uh, for the children of Israel. She had heard those stories in the hush harbors, in the secret churches, and um, the, the places where the slaves could meet at night uh, after they had worked all day and enjoy fellowship with each other and with God. And so having heard about these folks and having heard about this God that she wanted to serve, she chose to, on emancipation, move to Congo. <laughs> and it's amazing the way she self-financed. She joined the first African-American-led mission team to go from the United States of America and uh, she joined a team with uh, the Shepherds and the Edmistons, uh, the Edmistons uh, and went there and encountered slavery herself. Um, children, masses of children and adults being exploited by King Leopold II uh, in the, uh, the, uh, the rubber trade and the Arab slave trade. And she began taking what she knew already of God's concepts of spiritual and physical freedom and applied them and started ransoming children uh, out of the rubber trade and into her home. So this here you have this middle-aged, 56-year-old single woman who had come from absolutely nothing, self-funded all the way to uh, Congo and started taking these children into her home. They loved her so much, Carmen. The children gave her a special name, which was Ma uh, Mama Wapamputu, which means mother from a faraway land. And um, she, <laughs> she worked so hard and so much that um, her denomination finally uh, said, you have to retire, Mama Wapamputu. You have to come off the field. And so she did uh, in, in her 70s. And uh, she came back to the South, back to Alabama, and still taught Sunday school until she was in her 90s. And so just a wonderful story of a servant of God found in the hidden, unlikely places, uh, talking about some themes that are difficult, but they're, we approach them in an age-appropriate way. And I'll even tell you about some little Easter eggs that are hidden uh, in the story and in the illustrations that uh, if you want to expand the conversation with your children, if you think that they're able to handle it, I'll tell you how to do that. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Karen Ellis about this just beautiful, beautifully illustrated and delightful book. 
um, Mariah Fearing, the girl who dreamed of distant lands. If you're listening right now and you want to enter the drawing for the copies that we have to give away today, you know how to do it. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. She has an extraordinary personal story. Um, Mm -hmm. But so do other people in in her story. Like William Shepard's story is an an extraordinary story within the story. Um, Mm -hmm. There are, um, there's a lot going on in in the life of of Mariah Fearing. Um, I think that when we imagine going as a missionary to a faraway land, we have romanticized that. And uh, in many, many ways, um, can you just describe, you know, uh, for us as adults, can you describe what life was like in what we now call the Congo um, in the days of uh, King Leopold II? Right. Well, you have the, this is a great point, Carmen. I'm glad you brought it up. You have the adverse climate, um, which would have been very, very difficult for them to uh, to adjust to. Um, their travel was not easy. They took a steamership uh, from from New York to, which took <laughs> took many days, from New York to the Congo coast, and then they had to travel inland. Uh, and it's it was not it, it was not an easy trip. Um, and then they lived in a climate that was very different from their own, in a culture that was very different from the one they knew. And so there was a lot of uh, a lot of learning, a lot of adjusting on their part. But they also encountered uh, the area, the region, at a time when uh, King Leopold II had committed horrific uh, human rights abuses. And um, here's the Easter egg I was talking about. One of the uh, one of his ways of punishing his forced labor, his forced laborers, was by amputation. And um, so there are, you can, you can Google it if, if you have the stomach for it. There are many pictures. Uh, if you just Google Congo Leopold um, amputations, you'll see many pictures of people missing limbs and hands, you know, feet. Uh, and we're expected to continue working, but those were used as punishments and threats to uh, other folks around them that, um, that they were not the people in charge, that they didn't have agency or control over their own lives, which was certainly something that um, Mariah would have been familiar with, um, having come from the abuses and the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade. And so how do you talk about that? One of the challenges I faced writing uh, for ages four to seven is how do you talk about those, those kinds of atrocities in a way that little minds can get there, they can, they can grasp, but that is still, uh, it's not going to put fear in them, but hope. And so Isabel Munoz, who is, who's done our illustrations, was, she had a fantastic, a fantastic pen. And I asked her, I said, when the children, there was one panel in the book, when the children gather around Mariah's home, uh, which she created for them. Uh, the Pantops Home for Girls. I said, can you, when the children are around her and they, we talk about them flitting around her house like little butterflies with purpose and meaning and they're finally safe. They're mm. safe, they're warm, they're fed, they're loved, they're learning the principles of Christian life. I said, can you make one of the children um, have with, with, without a hand? And she's done it. And if, so if you, when you get your book, those who've, who've dialed in, who've uh, texted book, when you get your book, when you get to that page, if you look at the little one next to Mariah Fearing's rocking chair, she's missing a hand. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so you can expand the conversation. I just think it's brilliant uh, the way Isabel did that for us. And if, when you, if you want to expand the conversation, you can bring that up with your little one. And if, you, if they're not ready for it, you can skip over it. But we need to know the scope, I think, of uh, how uh, the scope of God's redemption, the scope of what he's ransomed these children from. It wasn't Mariah doing the ransoming. It was God ransoming these children from spiritual death, from physical death, from physical um, mutilation. Um, And he's doing it through Mariah Fearing. So it's just a little Easter egg for you to look for in the book to help you over those more difficult conversations. What is slavery? Why were these people... Why, why, why were these people allowed to have their agency taken away from them? Um, why, why are people so cruel? These are, these are the more difficult conversations that a story like Mariah's opens up for us. It's so good. It's so helpful. We're going to continue our conversation with Karen Ellis here in just a moment. You can connect with her online, Karen um, Angela Ellis.com. We're talking today about her book, it's it's written, you know, at an age-appropriate level for four to seven-year-olds, but it is it's a lot of content for those of us who are adults as well. Mariah Fearing, The Girl Who Dreamed of Distant Lands. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about spiritual motherhood. We're going to talk about some of the things that Mariah Fearing did, the children she bought back, um, ransomed, and um, and really how she not only changed their lives, but changed the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. We're continuing our conversation with K.A. Ellis. She is the author of Mariah Fearing, The Girl Who Dreamed of Distant Lands. We're giving away copies of the book today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Karen, when when you think about bravery or compassion, when you think about spiritual motherhood, um, and you think about Mariah's life, there's a lot for us to learn. Um, I think that when we imagine that she not only went, uh, you know, from here in the United States as a formerly enslaved person who was by that time well-educated and very accomplished, extremely hardworking, she was a single black woman. And she then goes to the Congo and she starts over time, taking in these girls. Um, She paid the ransoms of kidnapped children and enslaved children. She purchased their freedom um, out of the rubber and the ivory trades. When When you think about her agency and how empowered she was, I she'd be unusual today. How unusual was she in the late 1800s? There were um, a number of African-American, very intrepid African-American missionaries um, who are being reclaimed. There's, of course, most people would know George Lyle. Um, Most people are coming to know, again, the Shepherd team. Uh, There's a wonderful book in this series um, about a woman named Betsy Stockton. Uh, different oh, era, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the series is the whole series is wonderful. Um, I, I highly recommend. They've got Amy Carmichael, Betsy Stockton, um, just some <laughs> really interesting uh, 
uh, unearthings of uh, presentations of these women um, uh, who it's called do great things for God. Right. And the whole focus is that these are these are ordinary people. These are people whose knees knocked when they were asked to do something courageous. Um, they, but their faith in God, whose knees do not knock, uh, overrode their fear. Uh, courage, uh, the way we understand courage today, I think uh, we've, rom- you talk about romanticizing missions, I think we've romanticized courage. You know, mm. oftentimes, I think we're not aware that when we do the most mundane things, we're making history. We're making history and eternity uh, when we sow into the kingdom. And so, I, you know, the there were many um, intrepid people like this who took these incredible risks and leaps and did unusual things. But they're, when you think about it, they're no more unusual than the, the, the tedium of getting up in the morning and doing the things that God has simply asked us to do. It's, it's just about being obedient. Um, the obedience to me, I think, is the more is the greater the greater marvel. Um, it's obedience to do whatever is in front of you, whatever you're being asked to do, and trusting that that's going to make a dent in eternity uh, when we get there, that we can see when we get there. Um, and that's that's really that's all I hope for at the end of my life is to make some kind of dent in eternity that I can see when I get there. And it may come from having written a book. Or it may come from just having the courage to open my mouth and speak up for the truth of God in some hidden away place that no one will ever see, but God sees. I think that's one of the most important lessons that I take away from Mariah's life is that he sees, he saw her, he saw her and her deeds, no matter, he saw her deeds the same way she was on that, on that plantation uh, um, living under those conditions, uh, the same way that he saw her acts in Congo. Um, and there's no difference in them. They're both courageous. They're both, uh, they're all courageous. They're all significant in his kingdom, whether great or small. Karen, it feels like um, on this Juneteenth, I would be remiss not to ask, like, how do you reconcile so many of these threads as a mm-hmm. Christian who is also black and female in America mm-hmm. today. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I'm thinking about the Winston family who claimed ownership of the fearing family and mm-hmm. yeah, taught her the Bible stories and the, you know, and the Presbyterian catechism, but also did, did not voluntarily free her or her family. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you reconcile that? Well, I am a descendant of uh, the slave trade. I'm an American descendant of slaves myself. I could show you a picture of the um, plantation where my family was held. And the way that I hold these things uh, together as an African-American Christian woman is to know that when we suffer in life, we don't suffer for no reason. <laughs> that's that's mm, funny English, mm, but let me break mm. that down for you. Um, the suffering that has been introduced in this world by our hands, by, by, the, by sinful man, is redeemed by God in some way, shape, or form. So when I say we didn't suffer for nothing, 
um, there's, there's purpose and there's meaning to it. And that's the beauty of what God infuses into the horrific, unjust, agency robbing slaving system. And in slaving systems today, um, he is still making beauty for ashes. And that's one thing that I see in my family's story. That's one thing that I, my family has a huge legacy of both faith and education. And um, I, I walk strongly and boldly in that. I walk boldly in paths that they set out for me under adverse conditions, horrific conditions. And, um, and I know that, and I know that that came from God. Um, the way that he has used the, the Mariah's conditions and the origins of her story to show forth his grace and his redemption. The, the beauty of him taking a woman or a team of people even who were familiar with slavery, transplanting them into a whole different place and saying, we know these waters, let mm. us help. Let us let God use us to help. And that is, that's just a string of, it's, 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 it's a breaking of a chain and a building of a string of redemption and hope in my mind. And so that's one of the things that, um, that I find compelling about Mariah's story is God's ability to redeem even the worst situations, which is, that's the message of endurance. That's the message of Christian endurance. That's how the kingdom ball gets passed forward from generation to generation is these, these hopeful people who are able to say, God, you are, this is horrific. But even, even when I cannot trust that you are still working, that you are still doing, there are other people around me who are trusting for me. And that way we can pass a decent kingdom ball forward to the next generation and hopefully leave a little bit less toxic waste behind us of our own sin and our own folly in our own generation. Hmm. Um, will you come back and talk with us about what's happening around the world in, in communities where you know our brothers and sisters are being persecuted today? It's a different oh. topic, but it's related, and we don't have time to talk about that today. But would you come back and have yeah. that conversation with us? Oh, I've, Carmen, I would be delighted. Um, we love you already, so thank you so much for the shared time today, um, especially today. It's, it's very helpful on this particular day. Um, mm. The book is Mariah Fearing, The Girl Who Dreamed of Distant Lands. We are giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, you can find Karen online at KarenAngelaEllis.com. K.A. Uh, Ellis is how you find her professionally. Um, Karen, thank you so much for this shared time today. It was a gift. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. We're going to be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. You're going forth today into the world that God so loves, and you're doing so to represent Jesus. So we talk about being representatives of Christ in the world. Um, you are representing Jesus today. And so carry yourself in the posture of Christ. Yes, that would be with the full dignity of a child of God, absolutely, but not with arrogance, but with humility. Consider the concerns of others as actually more important than your concerns. And be a redemptive presence, like literally be a gift in someone else's life today. Jesus came from heaven to earth 
to embody our reality. Like, right, the the present, the gift was his presence. So how can we go forth today and represent him in ways um, that would honor him. Have a- Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.